This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is the best bits of today's show, a Wednesday, the 10th of January. And we've got a double dose of economic data for you. Very strong PMI data for Dubai outbreaking during the show this morning. And overnight, a new report from the World Bank. Brandy's take on the PMI data, plus the author of the World Bank report, the Deputy Chief Economist, Dr. Ihan Koze. We spoke to him at length. Full interview coming up. What else have we got for you? Property Finder, their new report on the state of the UAE, particularly the Dubai real estate sector. We've got Sharif Sliman, their chief revenue officer. And finally, interesting conversation with Frank Kane, editor-at-large at AGBI, Arabian Gulf Business Insight. All that to come. First up, though, that's economic news. Let's give you a flavour of what we've been talking about with a couple of the bite sizes. Let's go first up to the PMI data, Brandy. Right. We've got Dubai PMI data, which has come out in the last half an hour, uh, like the UAE PMI data that we had a couple of days ago. It is strong. In fact, um, it comes in and this measures what's happening in the non-oil private sector. It looks at what did happen for the last month, which was December, and it also asks people about how they feel about what is coming up. Um, In terms of what did happen in December, it's coming in uh, at its highest reading of activity Overall, and it looks at everything from construction uh, to travel and transport, retail, etc. Um, highest reading since August 2022. So 16 months, uh, a 16 month high is where we are for December. What did particularly well was new orders, which was sales. We also saw the cost of making that stuff, so input costs, if you like, uh, softening and firms offering greater discounts, which we've heard quite a lot about discounting in the PMIs that we've seen in the last year. It's not always good news because a lot of it has been due to more competition and has had a bit of an effect on margins. And we always care about what we're seeing in terms of job creation. Uh, So job creation quickening to a four-month high. Um, It's around the series average, so it's not necessarily growing faster um, than it has been over the last year. But people who they were speaking to um, were saying, look, we, you know, we've got more orders and we've got expansion of operations. And so we need more people to fulfill all of that. And the confidence going forward, which is the forward looking part of the report, was strong as well. Talking of reports, Rich, you've been looking at another one? Yeah, World Bank out overnight. Now, for the global economy, it was fairly gloomy there saying that the economy is on track for the worst half decade in 30 years. Global growth of just 2.4% this year. Let's hear now from the Deputy Chief Economist of the World Bank, Dr. Ihan Kose. We spoke to him about two or three hours ago. He says geopolitics is one of the main risks. We used to focus on financial stress as the number one risk because we have this you know, risk matrix we update periodically. Now, the number one risk is uh, geopolitical tensions. Uh, we have the recent conflict, of course, in the Middle East, coming on top of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and that has really heightened uh, geopolitical risks. If uh, one of these conflicts escalates, given how important these regions are, when we think about the energy supply for the global economy, you might see a significant pickup in oil prices. And that could have implications for inflation, that could have implications for uh, global growth. 
so we are worried about geopolitical tensions. Full interview with Dr. Ihan Kose coming up just after 9.30 this morning, also going to be available on our social media channels. Bitcoin has been in the headlines today, Brandy. Yeah, it has indeed. Fake news uh, coming out on the Bitcoin front. We were waiting for today's announcement from the SEC um, of who they were signing off when it came to offering spot Bitcoin ETFs, which effectively means an exchange traded fund uh, or several of them can start trading um, in the US. Big news for Bitcoin because it kind of legitimises it. However, um, that was slightly unlegitimised by the fact that the SEC saw a compromise and whose fault that is seems to be the subject of debate between uh, the SEC and X at the moment. X coming out this morning, uh, Richard spotted a tweet from them saying, well, the SEC didn't have second factor authentication. Yeah, it wasn't a, a hack hack. X saying that the account was not compromised. What happened, they say, was somebody, so it was nefarious, somebody got hold of a phone number and used that to access the account. So it wasn't a hack, it was just someone got the phone number. But they did say there was no two-factor authentication on the account. Whatever it was, what was put out there wasn't True, a bit of scrambling back from the chair of the SEC. But by then, Bitcoin had already shot up to 48,000. We've been speaking this morning to Stefan Levera, who's the managing director of Swan Bitcoin International. He's also a Bitcoin podcaster. He had a very professional microphone set up, it must be said. We asked him, what did he put yesterday's debacle down to? Some people are saying it was a scheduled tweet that went out early. Others are saying it was a hacker who somehow compromised the account and went around you know, pressing like and interacting in a way that the SEC account normally does not. Others are saying, well, hang on, they, they must have got the account back so quickly. Maybe there's special connections in between the SEC and between you know, X or Twitter. If, if it was going to be market manipulation, it probably would have been better to say uh, a rejection, right? Because most of the market was expecting an approval. So uh, if, if somebody was going to try to trade it, I, I don't know, it seems like they might have gone the other way. Look, I'm still personally anticipating that uh, the ETF approval will come today or Wednesday and for trading to start Thursday. Uh, and if not Thursday, then it'll be early next week. Stefan Levera, a bitcaster um, and also Swan Bitcoin International MD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Let's hear from the Deputy Chief Economist of the World Bank now. He is Dr. Ihan Kose. Their new report says the global economy on track for the worst half decade in 30 years. But why look at the global economy in terms of a half decade? Uh, I think, Richard, it is fair to say that there are some good news and there are some not so good news. But it is too early to say the global economy has turned a corner. And that's what we are trying to tell the global community. Let me start with the good news. We had this barrage of shocks uh, during the past four years. The global economy has proved to be surprisingly resilient uh, despite these shocks. Um, and then last year, the growth surprised on the upside. Uh, inflation has been coming down. And despite record high interest rates, we did not see a major financial crisis. We did not see a recession. So that's good news. Not so good news is that the slowdown is still with us. Third year in a row, global economy is going to see weaker growth uh, this year than last year. Growth is going to be around 2.4%. And then when you look at global trade, when you look at global investment, 
growth rates are quite small. The global media has picked up on this half decade analysis that you've done. It's not normally a way that we we frame our analysis of the global economy, the, the weakest half decade for growth in 30 years. Why is a half decade a good way to think about this at the moment? By the end of this decade, global community uh, was hoping to reach certain milestones, what we call sustainable development goals. And um, it's not a pleasant picture when you put the recent global growth performance in a historical context. So from 2020 to 2024, global growth is going to average around 2.2%. And that's the lowest half decade growth we have seen since the 1990s. We were expecting a transformative decade in the 2020s. And now we end up with the weakest growth performance. We are coming to the middle of this decade. So to play devil's advocate, let me say, well, that's just COVID. It was a once in a century event and everything will eventually and almost is going back to normal. What would you say to that? Look, uh, that's a perfectly sensible argument. The only issue is that global economy did have recessions. In the early 1990s, 91, we had a global recession in 2009. We had the Asian financial crisis, 97, 98. We had a synchronized, very serious downturn in 2001. So uh, when you look at history, there are all types of episodes. We had uh, weak growth, um, you know, contractions at the global level. But then uh, we are comparing this basically half decade with the decades half decades that include those unfortunate episodes. And the weakness is something we need to take into account going forward. What about the underlying systemic challenges that the global economy has in terms of generating growth and prosperity for people, particularly in lower income countries, those underlying conditions? Uh, I'm happy you asked that because uh, low income countries are facing formidable problems, to say the least. Um, and it's very important global community to find ways to help them. And uh, everything, you know, starts with having uh, investment. Uh, we have a serious climate challenge. We need to invest in infrastructure. And it's very important. We are trading with each other. Last year, global trade growth was almost zero. This year, it's going to pick up, but we are expecting uh, half of what we have seen over the past decade on average. These low-income countries need more investment. These low-income countries need to trade more with the rest of the world. Of course, uh, they need help to basically deal with the very large uh, debt loads they have. Uh, they cannot do it alone. Uh, global community needs to help. So what's the medicine to fix the global economy at the moment? If for the past couple of years, the medicine has been higher interest rates to fight inflation, uh, to my simplistic mind, I would like to see central banks cut interest rates quite aggressively this year. But what's your medicine? So at the national level, uh, we see, you know, inflation has been coming down, but central banks need to be very careful cutting interest rates prematurely. They need to see sustained decline in inflation. Uh, we need to defeat the inflation problem uh, before uh, we basically 
lower the interest rates significantly. Now, uh, I mentioned already the fiscal policy, but at the global level, it's critical global community uh, working together uh, to address the basically the common challenges confronting the global economy. And those challenges are like the climate problem, the debt problem we are seeing, food insecurity is a major issue, of course, in the Middle East as well. Uh, all of these uh, problems really, Richard, require governments working together rather than, you know, having uh, these tensions. A couple of final questions before I, I let you go on what I know has been a busy day for you. India, the world's fastest growing major economy this year, growth of around about 6%. What's the story there? So Indian government has been undertaking uh, significant measures to improve the uh, private uh, sector uh, climate, uh, the, the investment environment, uh, undertaking measures to make sure the fiscal policy working uh, uh, in a targeted, meaningful way. Uh, they were intelligent in terms of controlling inflation. So all in all, uh, it is an economy, uh, a rising star, and we, we think that it will continue delivering high growth. A quick word on the situation in the Red Sea at the moment. Uh, the report suggests that it hasn't had a, a meaningful impact yet, thankfully, on global trade. How are you reading that one? So the uh, challenges in the Red Sea, the Suez Canal, uh, critical. The risks are formidable. So far, we have not seen a you know, significant impa impact, but the cost of uh, you know, frights are going up um, significantly going up, actually. Uh, we need to see, you know, how the tensions are going to play out. Uh, let's don't forget uh, between, you know, the low water levels in Panama Canal and now, now the very serious security problems in the Suez Canal, two critical waterways for the, you know, global economy are under serious threat. Uh, we are not thinking that, you know, Things are going to escalate. Hopefully, uh, things are going to be contained. But if they escalate, uh, they will have serious repercussions. And finally, the Middle East economies, a region, of course, you know well. You're, you're Turkish, you're from Istanbul. Of course, we're all acutely aware of the, the human toll of the conflicts in the Middle East, in Gaza at the moment. Uh, and, and yet, economically, where I am, the UAE looks to be a bright spot, almost 4% growth. Saudi Arabia, above 4% growth. What's your take on this region? So the, the region uh, last year did have a you know, somewhat weaker growth outcome, primarily because of uh, the, the OPEC, basically, uh, the quotas when it comes to oil exports. But this year we are expecting, especially oil exporting countries to do uh, much better. Um, uh, there are serious, uh, there are certain downside risks uh, around the oil price, uh, but all in all, um, the private sector is on the move. Uh, the governments in the region, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, very much uh, understanding the challenges confronting them in terms of the need to diversify, the need to have non-energy sector contributing more. And, and uh, they have been undertaking the relevant measures. So the region uh, can deliver growth, has the potential, 
And this year, growth is going to be close to 4%. The thoughts of the Deputy Chief Economist of the World Bank. His report is out. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right, as Richard's been speaking to the Deputy Economist from the World Bank there about the UAE being a bright spot for the year ahead. What does that all mean for property? Property Finders just released its wrap-up report for 2023 and a bit of a hint about what they expect to see this year. Very pleased to be joined by their Chief Revenue Officer, Sharif Slayman. Sharif, good morning. It's nice to speak to you. Good morning, Brandy. Thank you so much for having me. So, record-breaking growth all over the place in 2023. Do you want to super quickly just remind me where we ended up? Yeah, 2023 was obviously a year for the books here uh, for the UAE real estate sector. Um, At at a high level, we've seen actually north of uh, 51% growth when it comes to uh, uh, value. And to just... A little bit to give you high-level indicators from a PF angle, you know, the Bellwether platform for the UAE market. We have seen tremendous growth in um, searches, which exceeded over 92 million. That's a 51% growth year over year. In terms of uh, consumer interest, that is indicative in the growth in leads that actually topped 13 million, which is 54% growth and um, the record uh, supply of high quality listings that exceeded 315,000 listings representing 56% growth in, in the year in 2023. So uh, pretty, pretty solid performance in 2023. Okay. Can it happen again? What do you expect to see in 2024? Let's start with Dubai and let's start with supply. Yeah, look, uh, in 2024, Uh, Some of the uh, critical and foundational trends that have actually uh, fueled the growth uh, in 2023 will continue into 2024. We'll continue to see new customer preferences for ownership, a strong foreign confidence given the current geopolitical conflicts, obviously a lot of focus on off-plan given the steady rental returns and continued loyalty for Um, certain neighborhoods and certain segments like luxury. However, in 2024, we will see a little bit of a twist. Uh, We will obviously see more availability in in properties and stability in the mid-market, driven by new projects and off-plan developments reaching a handover stage with a larger mix of affordable housing. This surge in supply will fundamentally stabilize prices and ease pressure on the rental markets. Um, the skewed performance in off-plan in 2023, we expect it to stabilize in 2024. So we'll see kind of a balance between kind of ready and off-plan performance um, and an introduction um, of new interests in uh, demand for short-term and more flexible living options will obviously be key. And in 2024, there will be a more a powerful role for technology given um, the trends that we're seeing here uh, in Abu Dhabi and and UAE for consumer preferences, we'll see, um, you know, technology and AI uh, drive a lot more behavior um, by streamlining consumer experience to help um, match the demand with uh, the right 
uh, properties for the right preferences and obviously the the matching with the right agents in terms of responsiveness and quality uh, uh, service. You mentioned the short-term and the flexible market there. What have you seen this year in that space and what do you expect to continue driving it? Yeah, look, the the geopolitical climate is obviously driving um, the affluent um, audiences to come here and, and obviously test the market. They don't want to make a you know big commitment up front. So we're seeing a demand for um, short-term rentals, extended sh- short-term rentals. Um, the rise, we've seen a spike in the interest of um, property management um you know services so from that perspective we fundamentally under the current conditions and should they be extended into 2024 which obviously there is no end in sight we continue to probably see um, a more pronounced uh, interest and demand for that you mentioned geopolitical issues it's something that richard has been discussing with one of the top economists at the world bank this morning they've just come out with a fairly dismal outlook for the world economy this year the uae is one of the bright spots but obviously we're not decoupled from the rest of the world particularly when it comes to international buyers could the slightly depressed growth that the world bank is forecasting for the world this year weigh in on our property market um, in, in all honesty, I don't have um, a more grandiose view to share with you. However, if you really take a look at uh, this part of the, uh, the world, it has actually fairly done well in, in 2023 and 2022 while the entire kind of world was melting down. We continue to be shielded um, you know, from that and the, the speculation of... Um, or the perception of the world of um, this world kind of anchored on an oil uh, type of uh, GDP drive. Actually, if you really take a look uh, in 2023, we've seen the the non-oil sector um, uh, contribute obviously higher growth uh, and grew faster than obviously the oil sector when it comes to its contribution to the GDP. So I don't Personally, from all the data that we pretty much have through our platform and and reflecting on the interests, um, the demographics, um, we don't potentially see a massive impact in 2024 when it comes to, um, uh, you know, specific impact on the real estate sector. Sharif Sleeman is the Chief Revenue Officer for Property Finder, uh, giving us an insight to what they've seen on the platform itself in terms of searches and listings and what he thinks we might see in the property market this year. Thank you very much for your time. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Yeah, flicking through the local stories now with Frank Kane, editor at large at AGBI. Morning, Frank. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Richard. A pleasure to be here. What are your stories making headlines this week? A lot of people talking about this as well. Dubai's residential market has a problem and it's a a very personal column that you've written about your rent experience in the marina essentially you're being evicted from your flat that you've been renting for years and years and years and to rent the one upstairs is 93 percent more than the rent you're paying now why is this a problem for dubai and not just a problem for frank well richard uh, i had a lot of response to this column uh, published at the weekend i mean some of it saying, uh, well, look, here's Frank Kane moaning that he can't afford to live in the Dubai equivalent of Knightsbridge anymore. 
Uh, and I, I, I kind of take that point, but I'm not complaining about, you know, not being able to live in Knightsbridge. Uh, uh, for one thing, Marina is very different from Knightsbridge, you know, which is where I live now. Uh, a very different demographic. Uh, uh, but also, um, you know, there, there are fundamental reasons why this is not a good state of affairs. Dubai, uh, although this has reduced in recent years and uh, official moves have uh, uh, actually made it... Uh, 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 less relevant now. Dubai is still a transient place, a transient population, a transient workforce. People need to have uh, rental real estate. We can't all afford to buy, uh, nor do we all want to buy. So if if that segment of the market is blocked off, uh, it will cause problems. And, you know, 93%, this is eye-watering. This, this, you know, this really is, you know, a, a it's almost... Weimar Republic levels of inflation. Um, so, um, you know, for those reasons, I, I was unhappy about this. I must say on a personal level, I am beginning to resolve the problem, uh, but I'm going to have to pay something like 80%, uh, you know, to stay where I want to live, i.e. Knightsbridge. So you say that with Dubai wanting to double its population to around 6 million people by 2040. That's the urban plan, yeah. That's the urban plan. What's the solution then? Do we uh, go to communist Russia from the Weimar Republic where the state sets the rents? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm all in favour of free market economy. Uh, I just think that on this particular occasion, a confluence of events uh, has come together uh, and produced a situation uh, that is destabilising, uh, which is unhealthy, which is too volatile. Uh, we had the uh, uh, the measures post-COVID to encourage people to come and live here or to, or, or indeed to stay here, uh, then followed by the huge uh, uh, influx of new residents that we had since February 22. Uh, 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 the other comment that I had from this column was, why didn't you mention the Russians? Uh, and I didn't mention the Russians because I don't want to single out uh, any one nationality, any big influx of people. Uh, you know, would cause problems like this. Although it does seem to me that the Russians do like Marina, where I live. Uh, 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 locally, we call it Marinagrad. Um, but uh, it, 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 it isn't really about singling out uh, any individual um, uh, nationality. That's wrong. Uh, but it, something has gone wrong in, in, in the last year. Uh, it's not just me noticing this. There are lots and lots of issues with the... Uh, 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 land department disputes people. Uh, so I think somebody up there should have a look at this. Let's stay with the theme of Frank Kane's first world problems, if we may. For the past 12 years, Frank has been a regular at the World Economic Forum in Davos. And that is beginning next week, Thomas. <laughs> That's the sound that you've been hearing for the past decade or more, Frank, as a regular at the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos. But you're not going this year. No, I'm not. No. Uh, uh, I mean, I must say I love Davos. I, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity to, you know, meet the elite, uh, meet and greet the elite and, uh, you, you know, to, to network, uh, to, to have absolutely fascinating days, learning things. Uh, some people say it's a bit like being back at university, you know, learning stuff all day and having fun all night. Uh, 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 I find it a very uh, worthwhile and interesting experience. 
Uh, and as I say, I've been there, ever, I think, for the last 12 years, actually, Richard. Um, but uh, this year, there, had, there has been a change in the communications regime at the World Economic Forum. Uh, and somebody there has taken the decision that they don't want so many journalists. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm a victim of those cuts, I'm afraid. Um, and, uh, you know, this is galling personally, although I must say I will not miss having to slither around in sub-zero temperatures, you know, getting from meeting to meeting. Uh, it's a very tiring thing if you do it properly, Davos. Uh, 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 but it's, it's a shame, you know, that I will miss out on all this, you know, information and networking and everything else. Uh, but it seems to me also a mistake by the, uh, uh, the Davos comms people, uh, because surely you want more light, not less, don't you? Uh, if Davos is adopting a lower media profile, that would only feed the conspiracists who believe it's a secretive, sinister cabal of people, you know, ruling the world from afar. Surely you need more light rather than less. So uh, I won't be slithering around this year, uh, uh, but in many ways I'm sorry that I won't be. In terms of the... In terms of the UAE delegation and what we can expect this year in themes at, at Davos, what, what are you looking forward to from afar? The, well, look, the elephant in the uh, well, actually, it won't be the elephant in the room because I'm sure it, it would be very prominently discussed, you know, the Middle East security situation, the Gulf security situation uh, and, and uh, uh, what's happening in Palestine uh, will be, you know, right there at the top of uh, many agendas. Lots of the sessions are themed around security, around geopolitics, uh, around economic instability. Uh, and, and these are all the issues that, you know, that we are seeing uh, exposed and discussed now in light of what's happening in Palestine. Uh, so, you know, that will be a big issue, uh, I'm sure. Uh, uh, the economic uh, uh, Part. Well, the economics, Frank, we're going to have to leave for another day because we're out of time on this one. But appreciate you joining us this morning. The thoughts of Frank Kane, editor-at-large at AGBI. Frank, thanks for being with us this morning. Absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.